Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 326. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Ed Gilbertson. Ed, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am always ready for a fun, fast ride to unknown destinations, Mark. <laughs> All right. I'll promise that I'll keep it off the walls and between the lines today. That's a deal. All right. Ed Gilbertson has been, an, has been active in the car hobby for over 40 years. He's the Chief Judge Emeritus for Pebble Beach Concord de Elegance and continues to serve as a senior member of the Pebble Beach Selection Committee. He's also the Chief Judge Emeritus for the Palm Beach Cavalino Classic and the Ferrari Club of America. In addition, he was Chief Judge for the Legend of Motorcycle International Concord and multiple shows across the country. Ed is Founder and Chairman Emeritus of the International Advisory Council for the Preservation of the Ferrari Automobile and contributing editor for Cavallino Magazine and other publications. Plus, he's co-authored a book on the Ferrari 250 GT Spider California. Ed is one busy guy. So, Ed, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles? Well, thank you, Mark. I, I guess uh, I'm fond of saying the automobile hab hobby is a terminal disease. <laughs> Lifelong pursuit of mine, both cars and motorcycles. I had my first motorcycle at age 11. Wow. And my car at age 13. I bought them with my paper route, money, and selling ice cream bars. Uh, neither ran at the time. I think uh, that's why my parents let me have them. They never thought I would get them running. <laughs> well, I managed... Uh, to get them both running, and uh, have been pretty heavily involved in the, the hobby ever since. And before then, of course, it being a lifelong interest, I was uh, putting soapbox derby racers together and uh, building little scooters with uh, apple boxes and roller skate wheels and things like all sorts of things like that before I even had a motorized vehicle. So. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you've come a long way, baby, because you have been involved in so many different aspects of Concours event preservation. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved with that before we get into some of the questions. 
Well, you know, I'm often asked that question, Mark, and it really relates back to the first time I showed a, a couple of my cars in Concours events, and this was back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I never really intended to get involved in, in judging, never intended to get involved in organizing all of the kind of events that uh, we've done through the years. But as I went from show to show, uh, and even then I was interested in keeping things original and authentic, but there basically were no standards, there were no consistent guidelines. As then I went from one show to another, uh, sometimes the people uh, knew what they were doing, sometimes they didn't, uh, often had no guidelines to go by. Who wants to volunteer today to judge, you know? It was mm-hmm. really goosey-goosey back in those days. And I finally said, something's got to be done about this. And uh, got general agreement, yes, Ed, something needs to be done. Well, uh, we waited for somebody to grab the reins and, and put some effort into coming up with uh, some standards and consistency. Nobody did, and so a couple of people said, why don't you do it, Ed? <laughs> there you go. Be careful what you ask for. You might yes, just get it. Indeed. Uh, this was like uh, 40 years ago, and, and so I developed some uh, judging forms and judging guidelines for a couple of local events here in the San Francisco Bay Area for the Ferrari Club uh, because I was active with that group, and uh, it grew from there. I, I never envisioned that uh, 40 years later I would still be involved in judging and concord uh, guidelines and all those sorts of things, but... Uh, it's been a long but a good journey, and with the help and support of a lot of people, uh, I think we've made some progress through the years. I think so, absolutely. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote, something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Ed, take the wheel. Well, I think the biggest uh, and best thing that ever happened to me was meeting my wife, Sherry. (laughs) Uh, She was not only a great gal and checked all the boxes as far as a a wife and partner, but uh, she's a motorhead just like I am. Oh, lucky guy. That's what a lot of people tell me. And uh, for 40 years that I've been at this, uh, every event, every tour we put together, Everything we've been to, she's been alongside of me. In fact, so much so that whenever I appear and she's not there, the first thing people do is say, where's Sherry? (laughs) And an interesting story in meeting her, I met her uh, through a friend of mine uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us. He denies it, but I wasn't really looking for anybody at the time. I mean, I had uh, girlfriends and dates and so forth. But this friend of mine, he uh, got together some people one evening, and it turned out that uh, of everybody there, uh, they all had a wife or a significant other, except uh, Sherry and I were there by ourselves, and so we naturally wound up talking to each other mm-hmm. and never left her. <laughs> I found out years later, because I was uh, pretty heavy into the biker world at that time, which is another uh, big chunk of my life, and uh, found out years later that some of my best buddies had warned Sherry away from me and told her uh, that she would never housebreak me. I was (laughs) 
lot of having a lot of good times in those days. Yeah. So I was uh, quite surprised myself that evening I met her that I just described, and we have been uh, with each other ever since. And just two days ago, we celebrated our 44th anniversary. Oh my goodness! Well, congratulations. We basically share everything together, and uh, we were in business together as uh, general partners. Uh, we actually had three businesses together. She has been a real assist to me because, as you might imagine, while I'm out there uh, working things, uh, Concord and judging-wise, there's a lot of paperwork behind the scenes associated with those sorts of things. Uh, putting together a 1,000-mile driving tour, we have done a number of those for cars like the uh, Alfa Romeo 8Cs, the Ferrari 250 Tesla Roses, the Ferrari 250 GTOs. Well, they take a lot of time, and Sherry handles all of that. Plus, I dare say, uh, she can put together the best route instructions anywhere. <laughs> well, I would say then the the uh, story here is, or the mantra or success quote would be, pick the right partner. Boy, that's critically important. I am so lucky. I really am. Because to find somebody that you can share your life with and that all these years later, uh, we still enjoy being around each other. Uh, and she is interested in the same things I am. I mean, I'm just so lucky I can hardly believe it. <laughs> well, you two are very fortunate. My wife Jill and I will be celebrating our 31st, so we've got a little catching up to do to you guys. Well, that's still a long time. Congratulations to you. It yeah. sounds like you found a good one also. She's put up with me for a long time, that's for sure. You talked about when you were a little kid buying those uh, vehicles when you were real young, but could you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars. I'd love to hear that pivotal moment as you remember it when you really realized that you were a car and a motorcycle guy. Well, you know, I tell you, I thought you might ask something like that, Mark, and I thought about when the uh, light came on. <laughs> yes. As far back as I can go, even at this late stage, I have a pretty good memory. I mean, I can actually re remember back to when I was three years old. Oh, my gosh. And I, I clearly can. I, I had my tonsils out when I was three, and I can clearly remember exactly what happened and what I had to eat and, and other things that happened when I was a small child. And even then, uh, I was interested in having the little cars in the sandbox and laying out roads and putting them in little boxes for a, a gas station and things like that. And then when I was old enough to uh, get out of the sandbox, I guess, like I mentioned earlier, I'd build these vehicles out of scrap pieces. I'd take an apple box, I'd nail it to a two-by-four, I'd get a couple of old roller skate wheels or something and nail them on the bottom of the two-by-four, and I, I had a scooter. <laughs> Very cool. And then when I was 11 years old, I was eligible to enter the Soapbox Derby, the old series of uh, those sorts of races for kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of the kids had, uh, you were supposed to do the work yourself, and I did it. I was always chagrined that these, a lot of cases, uh, the fathers would build the cars or they would have their business build the cars. I did those myself, and I built three of them. And by that time, of course, I was uh, getting to the age where I was getting interested in not building little soapbox derby racer that coasted down Long Hill, but I wanted something with a motor in it. Of course. 
So that's why I saved up my paper route money and ice cream bar money. I couldn't afford anything that cost much because I didn't have that. And I come from quite humble beginnings. My parents couldn't assist. That first motorcycle was $30. (laughs) And uh, that first car was $50. There you go. Uh, And uh, it all started there. And so when people tell me, they've asked that before, well, when did you really get interested that, you know, led you down this path of just being devoting your life to this? I wind up saying the same thing. I was born with it, and that's why I say it's a terminal disease. So I guess it's <laughs> Yeah, that's something I hear from a lot of my guests, and I think uh, you and I both share that is a terminal disease. So not a, not a bad disease to have, though. Not a bad one to have. Yeah. So, Ed, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've had such a long, wonderful life around the car hobby and and vehicles and things. And I'd love for you to share with our guests, our listeners rather, a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way. It's something that it really tested you, really pushed you to some limits there. And the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that particular situation and what did it teach you? Well, as I said, I was uh, born into the uh car and motorcycle world has been with me all my life. I think if we can just uh, move over to the motorcycle world for uh, a very brief time, because we're here to talk about my automobile life, I was in the biker life for quite a few years, and I can tell you uh, I was the president of a club, and that was a challenge, because the clubs, as you may know, uh, get very territorial, There's a leading club in each state. They lead the charge. You need to know that world. You need to be able to win your way through it. And I was in it for a long time, uh, running with the clubs. I was president of a club for many years. Well, like I often say, when you're in Rome, you need to do as the Romans do or stay the hell out of Rome. (laughs) And so running a motorcycle club, and uh, it worked out well. I loved it. But, uh, you know, you have to move on. There's other things to do. That was definitely the greatest challenge I've had. I learned a lot running a motorcycle club and uh, had a great time. Loved it. Could have continued it. But that's a far different side of life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the automobile world is completely different. The, the biker world is a challenge. And you can learn a lot. It's like being in the military and leading the unit. You can learn a lot about people and how to organize, how to lead, how to take care of problems. So it was a good learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very interesting, very intriguing. I didn't know that about you, so very cool. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment. Uh, Sometime when the headlights came on and and illuminated your way for a new idea or a new direction you had in the car world, the car hobby, and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Well, I can clearly remember that moment, Mark. As I said earlier, um, when I showed my cars back in the 70s and uh, there was the need to develop some standards and consistency in the Concord judging process and I developed some uh, forms and guidelines for the local Ferrari group, and then a couple of the local shows used them. But it was pretty much uh, 
right in the immediate area of where I live, the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And in 1984, uh, the Monterey Historics in Pebble Beach decided that they would feature Ferrari. And I was um, on the board of the Ferrari Owners Club at the time, which was the Ferrari Club here in California. The Ferrari Club of America came later. Mm -hmm. Anyway... Those of us who were involved with the Ferrari Owners Club, we said, "Well, gee, they're going to—they're featuring Ferrari up at uh, Monterey, and uh, you know, we need to have a presence. We need to do something." And uh, John Masterson uh, was the uh, president of the club at that time. I think I was vice president, and so we said, "Yes, we've got to come up with something if they're going to be honoring Ferrari." Well, what we decided to do is we would. Uh, do some things out at uh, Laguna Seca, as it was called in those days, yeah. and uh, in the way of uh, track activity. And also we would do, do something in the way of having a show, a concord. And so John said, I will take the track, and uh, you've already been involved in concord and uh, judging. Uh, you've developed some judging materials. Uh, why, why don't you take the concord? I said, done. And so uh, we didn't know what this was going to come to. Uh, Sherry, of course, was already working alongside me on everything we do. And so we looked for a place, and we chose the Rancho Kenyatta Golf Club over there on Carmel Valley Road. And we got it I because, as it turned out, the, the manager was the car guy, so that worked out well. <laughs> cool. Uh, without going on too long, I developed some entry forms, uh, I hadn't really done anything that was very significant at all outside of a small a club event, a small local show. And so we had the field. I had developed, uh, started developing the uh, judging forms and guidelines that have uh, survived all the way to this day and are used many places. But they didn't really exist at that time. But because this was a meet that was going to uh, involve the uh, both clubs, I contacted some people in the Ferrari Club of America, which was uh, basically a Great Lakes organization at the time, because I wanted to uh, let both clubs know that we were going to try and have something special. Develop some entry forms and, you know, okay, we'll see who's interested. Well, the entry forms started coming in, and all of a sudden, you know, we're sitting here with uh, a whole bunch of entry forms, I said, well, boy, I'm going to have to meet quite a few judges here. And I had some local judges I could call upon. But I started calling people out of the blue because uh, I didn't know them. I'd seen their names in articles and books and called people like Phil Hill and Briggs Cunningham and Luigi Canetti and, you know, a whole raft of people <laughs> uh, just picking names and yeah. had no idea how they would respond. Well, long story short, I mean, they all came and said they would come. Yeah. Of course, it was going to be a big Ferrari deal, so they might have been coming anyway, but uh, they were willing to take their time and come over and, and help me at the Concord. And so I remember that Sherry and I went over to the field the day before, and we kind of laid out things, you know. Well, you know, it looks like we may have a few cars. Uh, where are we going to put the race cars? Where are we going to put the GT specialized things like that? We kind of laid out a rough outline of the 
field. And then we got up very early the next morning, and and we said to ourselves, I wonder if, I wonder if anybody will really show up. Probably... <laughs> yeah. Sherry and I go over to Rancho Kenyatta Golf Club, and we drive up. The first car in line is a Ferrari P4. Wow. The second line is a Ferrari 250 Testarossa, and it went on from there. And by the time that we had gotten everybody in, there were 250 Ferraris sitting on the field. It was the largest gathering of Ferraris ever to that time. Cool. And God, I had lined up a lot of judges. They were standing by to help out. And that meet was uh, very successful in getting the word out as to what I was trying to do sure. to establish uh, standards and consistently in the judging world. It got both clubs involved. I had judges uh, from both clubs, uh, quite a few of them from the Ferrari Club of America who I'd never met because uh, they were basically the big national club and they were more concourse-oriented. Sure. And, of course, we had a lot of those cars over at the track, and so that event got a lot of publicity. The Ferrari Club of America called me and indicated that uh, they had... Uh, some of their people had been out to this event, had really uh, talked uh, favorably about it, and uh, it wasn't the president of the Ferrari Club of Americas calling me. It was the fellow that was going to be in charge of their next national meet, Concord, that's held in conjunction with their annual meet, and he was interested in me being their chief judge. Cool. I said, well, gee, you know, I'm really not active with the Ferrari Club of America. This is Ferrari Owners Club out here. Are you sure that's going to go over? Well, he, he talked to the board about it, and uh, the president of the Ferrari Club of America at that time, a fellow by the name of Carl Conway, the, uh, the Concord chairman got back to me, and I said, well, how'd it go? He said, there's no way in hell we're going to have the president of the Fry Owners Club come over and judge our cars at our national meet. Are you nuts? <laughs> and, uh, but he persisted. And uh, the vice president of the club, uh, Joe Rosenberg, I think it was, doesn't really matter. This was a long time ago, obviously. But he said the same thing. He calls me and he said, I understand you've been invited to be our chief judge at the next annual meet. I said, yeah, I have. But I understand your president isn't real keen. He says, well, if he's not keen, I'm 100% against it. We're going to have the, you know, the president of the other club come over and judge our cars. Right. Oh, well, wow. the Concord chairman, who's one of my oldest friends at this point, didn't know him at the time, Bob Coggin, persisted. And so Carl Conway, the president of the FCA, calls up. He said, look at Gilbertson. He says, Bob keeps persisting. What I'm going to do, I'm going to got to come out to the West Coast on business anyway. I'm going to come out. We're going to meet. I'm going to get to know you. You're going to tell me all about you, and you're going to tell me why you feel you can judge our cars. And so he came out. We had him at the house. Sherry cooked her favorite meal. She makes the best lasagna in the world. And at the end of the evening, Carl Conway, who was totally against it, at the beginning of the evening, uh, he said at the end of the evening, okay, we'll give it a try. Once that show was over, both Carol Conway and Joe called me and said, uh, we were wrong, you were right, we're going to take it up with the rest of the board, would you like to become our permanent 
chief judge for the Ferrari Club of America. Nice. And that was it. And I was I was their chief judge uh, back in those days. You know, it was pretty loosey goosey, even in the in the Ferrari Club. But who wants to who wants to judge the cars this year? You know, and there were no. And then they would use whatever forms and guidelines they wanted. So I came on board as the chief judge for the Ferrari Club of America in 1985. The following year, I brought the forms and guidelines that I'd used at that big 84 international meet that had been received so well. They implemented them throughout the club and other Ferrari places, like the uh, later on the Palm Beach Cavalino Classic, which came along in the 90s. And then when I became chief judge at Pebble Beach, those same forms and guidelines, which had been well time-tested, were implemented for all classes at Pebble Beach, where they still use them today. So that was a defining, that was my aha moment, because I said to Sherry at the time, I said, you know, I got into this because we were dissatisfied with what was happening locally. Part of standardization and consistency needs to be uh, implemented throughout certainly the Ferrari world, which was my world at the time, and it can be used in other places and other shows. And I said, look, it was well received at the 84 meet by all kinds of people that I'd never met before. They're running with it. The, the Ferrari Club of America likes it. I think we can take this thing quite away, Sherry. And that's what really got me rolling down that road. I said, I said, this has the potential to go a long way, these forms and guidelines we've developed. It's going to do the world a lot of good in terms of fair and consistent judging, and let's see where we can go with it. Yeah. And 40 years later, it's, uh, well, it's used for all of the classes at Pebble Beach. It's used for uh, the Palm Beach Catalino Classic. It's used at many other shows, both here and other countries. So Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm glad we made that decision. I'm glad we had that aha moment. Yes, absolutely. And we'll give uh, Sherry's lasagna some credit for making all that happen as well. So, <laughs> Well, she's, she's quite a charmer, too. There you go. How about proudest moments? I would assume you've had so many, but could you share just one with us that's happened along the way? I think the my proudest moment is when, when I was invited by Piero Ferrari to come to Marinelle, Italy, to be the chief honorary judge for the 60th anniversary of Ferrari for the at the first concours that the factory had ever held. Wow! And they brought me over there for uh, 10 days. Uh, Adolfo Orsi was the chief judge, and I knew him well because he had uh, judged for me at the. Pebble Beach and the Cavalino Classic and lots of other places. And so we worked for 10 days to put that big 60th anniversary event together, and it was wonderful. I mean, obviously, when you go out from the Ferrari factory and say you're going to have a, a Concours, uh, you're going to bring in significant cars, we basically had our pick of the cars, we had our pick of the judges, uh, and you have people like... Uh, Mauro Figueri and Sergio uh, Scaliette and Sergio Pininfrina and all sorts of people there on the field with you. We had uh, the Formula One cars there with the drivers, and it was it was just fabulous. Wow. And then uh, they had this big uh, banquet uh, gala, like a lot of the shows do, out at the Fiorano track. 
which of course uh, we were invited to, and they have the normal reception, and we're standing there with Brenda Werner, that was Enzo Ferrari's personal secretary, and this uh, was not too many years ago, 60th anniversary. That was uh, well. Uh, let's see, Ferrari started in '47. That had to be 2007. That's 60th anniversary. So we're standing there with Brenda Werner, and pretty soon they're saying, "Well, gee, we probably ought to find a place to sit." And Brenda says, "Stand by. I'll get us. You know, I'll find us a table." And so we go and sit down, and sitting there, jawing away, and I get a tap on the shoulder. And I turn around and says, are you, you Mr. Gilbertson? I said, yes, it's my wife, Sherry. You know, we're here with Brenda. He says, no, you're, you're sitting elsewhere. I said, well, this is just fine. No, no, you're sitting at the head table. You're sitting next to Piero Ferrari. Oh, wow. And, was, <laughs> I, I, and I looked at Brenda, and I said, this can't be. This certainly can't be. Sherry says, I'll check it. Let me go over and see if there's any on the table. She came back. She said, I can't believe it. We're sitting with Piero Ferrari and his wife. That, I suppose, was my proudest moment because I had started uh, as a nobody, basically, and here I am sitting at the head table with Piero Ferrari and the other factory dignitaries at the top of the Ferrari world at their 60th anniversary. Wow. Well, <laughs> that's a wonderful story. Very well-deserved. Fantastic. All right, let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you have with that vehicle. I guess that would have to be my first car, Mark, the one that I stretched with paper route money to get for $50. It didn't run. Uh, this was in the, the 50s, the early 50s, and uh, it was a 40 Ford, and, and the hot rod days were there. And uh, I built that little car into a hot rod uh, as best I could with my limited funds. I often wished I had that car, but that was a special car. That's where I learned how to make an engine run. That's where I learned how to work on other things car-wise. And, yeah, I remember that car. That, that was special and still is special to me. Very cool. I love that. Well, let's talk about other cars here. Is there one car in particular that you've owned, that you let go, you sold, you really wish you had back in your garage? Well, but but I would have to say no. Um, I've been at this a long time. I've been fortunate to be able to have my dream cars along the way. I was fortunate that I was uh, going after uh, those early V12 Ferraris in the 70s and early 80s when they were affordable. Right. Uh, and I never bought the cars for what they might be worth. I buy cars and motorcycles because I want to enjoy them. If uh, I treat them well, I keep everything running, and if when it comes time to sell, they're worth more well fine. They, they've been good to me. But I never buy my cars to sell, and I have all of my cars for quite a long time and do everything I wanted with them, you know, in the way of uh, all of the activities. And so when it comes time to sell, I'm ready to sell. And, of course, there's a space in the garage, and pretty soon it's filled with something else. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, I loved your answer to that question because that is so important that uh, we buy cars that we love because if you're going to get stuck with them, maybe you want to make sure you enjoy them. So. You answered that question really well. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Ed. I'm really curious how you'll answer this one. Okay. 
If Ed was a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Oh, my gosh. You know, that's, that's, that's a <laughs> healthy 427 Cobra. Ooh. You know, I, I'm interested in hot rods, motorcycles, and sports racing cars. And that 427 Cobra is all of them rolled into one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the car I would be if I was a car. Absolutely. I love that answer, too. That was a great answer. In fact, you sent me a picture of, of you in one of those vehicles, a blue one, I believe, right? That's my Shelby Cobra. There you go. Okay, well, that'll be on your show notes page for our listeners to enjoy. So ah, I love that. People expect me to, you know, mention a Ferrari. Yeah. And I love Ferrari, and I'm still very involved with the uh, the Ferrari world. But uh, all things considered, no. Uh, I'm often said, if you could only keep one of your cars, which one would it be? Well, I say that's a no-brainer. It'd be the Cobra. The Cobra. I love it. Well, Ed, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's car sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power, and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. All right, Ed, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Uh, I'm ready. Uh, I will try and uh, keep the wordage down. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? The best advice when you go after a car, buy it because you're enjoying it, not because other people are buying that car, not because of what it might be worth someday. Buy it and enjoy it. Great. That's what I've always done. Great advice. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Uh, never give up. <laughs> I simply, well, once I established an objective, I simply don't give up. If I can't achieve it one way, I'll find another way. And I simply never give up, sometimes maybe to my own detriment. But I've been fairly successful in what I wanted to accomplish in life, both in the car world and in the corporate world. Oh, perfect. Love it. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Maybe it's a website or an application you get or something like that? Well, uh, for uh, the Ferrari world, uh, we have this uh, organization that I founded uh, back in the 80s, the International Advisory Council for Preservation of the Ferrari Automobile. I would also mention that I'm just in the process of establishing 
what we're calling International Chief Judge Advisory Group, and that will be to further uh, provide uh, advice assistance to the Concord world in providing fair and consistent judging. And I've been doing that pretty much on my own, except for Ferraris with that console. But this is a newly formed group, and like the other group, the International Advisory Council for Ferraris, this one is comprised of a charter membership of nine experienced chief judges from five countries. We will have a website. The formation of that group will be announced shortly, and uh, we will be available to assist, provide advice for any organizer or chief judge out there or anybody else that is interested in the subject. Ah, excellent. Great. I love it. Now, how about a book? I know this is a tough one, but is there one book in particular you think our listeners would really enjoy reading? Uh, well, I think it's perhaps one they, uh, I would like them to read. It's the book that was published by the Simeon Foundation a couple of years ago, and it's called The, uh, the Stewardship of Historically Significant Automobiles. You know, the big word today is preservation. People have really jumped on that horse. I've been a champion of preservation for a long time. Somebody sent me an article I wrote years ago. I'd almost forgotten about it, uh, talking about preservation versus restoration. But Fred Simeon got a hold of a few of us, myself, uh, Miles Collier, uh, the Kino brothers, people who have a keen interest in preservation, but we were all kind of marching down our separate roads, although we knew each other and talked with each other. And Fred thought, what I would like you guys to do, you champions of uh, preservation, is each sit down, write a chapter for this book, giving your thoughts regarding preservation, the importance, et cetera, et cetera. We'll put it in our book, we'll put it out there, and we'll see what the world thinks of it. Mm. And and so we did. Well, that book went over so well that it won the International Historic Motor Award for uh, the best publication in 2013. Awesome. Uh, wonderful. Well, Fred Simeon's been a guest here on Cars, yeah, and uh, we talked a little bit about that book as well when he was on the show. So we'll make sure that that book and all the great books that the past 326 guests here on Cars, yeah have introduced on the Guest Recommended Books page on CarsYeah.com. You can find everything that Ed shared with us at CarsYeah.com slash Ed Gilbertson. Just put Ed in the search bar, and his show notes page will pop right up. All right, Ed, we're coming up to the checkered flag here, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost, because today I'm going to write that check. Okay. What would that one vehicle be and why? Oh, I know that one. Yeah, I've held this opinion uh, for a while. If I could only have one car, it would be the Cobra Daytona Coupe that won the world championship. Oh, my goodness. Well, what is it? What is it about that car that just tugs on your heart? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, it's it's such a great story. You know, the, Carol Shelby and his hot rod buddies, you know, as you know, developed the uh, Cobra down in Southern California. Uh, nobody knew where it was going to go. I don't think they did. And uh, they built these world-beater cars. And the Ferrari 250 GTOs loved those cars. I mean, they they had won the championship three years in a row, 
And Carroll Shelby came along with his Cobra Daytona Coupe, and he beat them all. <laughs> yes. I think that is such a great story. American hot rodders, you know, go world racing and win the championship. I, I think it's just a wonderful story. So that's the car, and I've seen that car, and uh, that's the one I would pick. And I wouldn't have to have anything else. Well, great choice. We had Peter Brock on this show very early on in the formation of cars yeah and peter talked quite a bit about how he worked on that project and how that car came together so that's a great choice i could see you and old hot rodder driving that car down the road absolutely i must tell you something this is such a great story that i'm taking too much time but you perhaps remember uh not too many years ago we featured the the ferrari gtos at pebble beach oh yes and and i was bound and determined it was going to be the largest number ever seen together and of course i've been in the ferrari world a long time and and i knew a lot of people and put all my feelers out called my markers in and as i recall we had 23 gtos sitting along the ocean at pebble beach the most that everybody had ever seen together oh, yeah. and that long line of gtos was spectacular but what a lot of people don't know <laughs> is that the cobra that beat them all was an entry in the post-war sports class that was just a short distance away from that long line of details in the ocean. Here's the way we did it. First of all, the chairman uh, and I had talked about going to have that long line of details along the ocean, and I said to the field workers, when, I want, when you're finished, I want to go down at the end of that line. I want to look down. I want to see a perfectly straight line. And they did a fabulous job. That photograph appeared all over the world. But what you'll be one of the few people to know that we took that Cobra, we put it in that class not too far from the GTOs, facing down in the GTOs. And I love that. I said, <laughs> GTOs are so proud and prim and, you know, proud of themselves today. And looking right across from him for a short distance away was the lone day cobra coupe that beat them all. And I feature that cobra saying, okay, pre on you guys. Just remember, I beat every damn one of you in the oh, old days. Oh, that is a fantastic <laughs> story. I love that. I was there on the lawn. That was a spectacular event. I was there at Laguna Seca to watch all those cars go around the track. It was absolutely stunning. So It was, wasn't it? Great job. Great job. Ed, you have taken me on a great ride. I knew you would. I've so enjoyed your stories, and I really want to thank you for sharing your lifelong journey around cars with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Cobra Daytona Coupe? Yes. And it's one that I put out there all of the time. Let's always remember that cars are meant to be driven and motorcycles are meant to be ridden. <laughs> Absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing and what you're involved in? Well, I'm quite easy to get a hold of. My email address is edgilbertson, one word, at AOL.com. Or they're welcome to call me at 415 824-6129. But I'll just give fair warning, be prepared to have me talk your ear off. <laughs> be prepared to have a wonderful conversation is what I'd like to add to that. Listeners, you can find links to everything Ed has shared with us today, again, at carsyad.com. Just put Ed in the search bar and his show notes page will pop right up. 
Ed, thank you again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure, and it's uh, it was just enjoyable to uh, relive some of the things all over again. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.